Welcome to the Remarkability Institute podcast, turning the art of communication into the science of remarkable results. BART is committed to giving 1 million people their voice. BART is committed to giving you your voice. It's time for you to stand up, step out, and speak up. With more than 30 years experience helping people develop their communication skills, build their confidence, and find their voice, here's your host, Bart Queen. I am so excited about today. I have been looking forward to having Thomas as a guest for about five weeks. Now, in anticipation of you listening to Thomas, I've been reading a book called The One Thing by Gary Keller. And all of how much I really appreciate digging into books. And in Gary Keller's book, there were three things that really struck out to me. One thing he said was extraordinary results are directly determined by how narrow your focus is. The second thing he said was that no one succeeds alone. No one. And the third thing that he said that I thought was so absolutely powerful was this. That mastery should be seen as a path, not a destination. It's something that you're able to achieve, but it is something that is constant and ongoing. You have heard me many times talk about the idea that communication is just not one time. It's just not event. It's just not something that you do. It's not something that you get perfect at. It's something that takes a lifetime to master. That mastery of our communication is not a destination. Now, the result of our communication can be a destination. We can have some real sincere things that we would like to achieve, but the process of communication is a mastery of a lifetime. And today, guys, as we spend our 30 minutes together, I think we have an opportunity to speak to a fine man who's taken a look at this idea of his communication and not seen it as a destination, but seen it as a part of a process and a mastery as he's applied it to different things that he's done in his life. Thomas is married. They've been married for about eight and a half years. They have a lovely daughter. Her name is Daisy that I call Princess. I've had an opportunity to break bread with them. It was a delightful evening. His daughter definitely steals the show. He's now part of a theological program at the Shepherd's Institute, and he has a love of playing the cello. Now, I haven't had the, the, the opportunity to hear him sing, but now that he's let that cat out of the bag, I'm very much looking forward to that. Thomas was involved in an organization called Send International. They're located in over 20 countries, and their main purpose is supporting the local church. And where all that started was in the Philippines. But what's interesting about Thomas and his wife, Caitlin, 
is that they spent one full year in Russia. And when I heard about his experience in Russia, I said to Thomas, you have to come and you have to share this experience with my listeners. It's not very often that you meet somebody who spent a year in Russia talking about God's word and being able to work in that environment. Thomas, welcome, welcome, welcome. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having me here. And uh, I look forward to talking about the experience. Well, and I know I'm looking forward to hearing about it. So Thomas, just kick it off. How does one end up going to Russia? I usually answer that with the biplane, actually. <laughs> no, but... Okay, uh, so he's a comedian too, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the boat would take too long. No, yeah, it's a long story, but essentially the church that my wife and I were going to, we heard that there was an opportunity to go to Russia to teach English in a summer camp format. And we'd use the Bible to do that. And around that time in my wife and I's Christian walk, we just felt like it was, we were both being convicted to have just a more serious faith, honestly. And um, we had a great passion for sharing the gospel with people who don't really have access to it, honestly. And um, in Russia, there's quite a, many, quite a few people that uh, don't have access to the gospel, um, mostly because there's not people there. So our pastor told us about the opportunity. Um, I went because my wife was pregnant with my daughter, Daisy, and uh, I came back just a changed person, a changed man. And I told my wife, we have to go back. And we did go back the next summer. And then the summer after that, we went back again and stayed for a year. So you had been three times, Thomas. Your third time is when you went and stayed for the full year. Yes, actually it was four. Uh, one other time in between the second and third, or the first and second, actually, uh, my pastor and I went and taught pastors and church leaders about outreach, evangelism, missions, going through the book of Acts in the New Testament. So share with us a little bit. Do you, now, you don't, do you speak Russian? Ninloga, a little. Oh, okay. <laughs> so tell us a little bit what that was like. Okay, number one, to be in a country you've never been in before, completely different culture. And now you're trying to communicate in a language or, yeah, in a language that you don't even know. Mm. So share with, with us, when you and Caitlin got there, what did you feel were the three biggest challenges from a communication perspective that you had to overcome? Mm. Yeah, the, the three biggest challenges we had to overcome were, say, practical. Practical challenge of just being able to communicate without words. So at the grocery store, the gas station, things like that. The culture is very different. It's not just uh, language alone. There's a culture and language of a mix. So it's very difficult to communicate even without words um, where we would normally use our body language or just social customs, our eyes to say things and they would say them the same way. So now I'm not only learning words of a new language, but a whole way of interacting with the people. So just on a practical level, that was one. Number two was how to, honestly, how to show people we love them. We take for granted how much we show people we love them by using our words or our body language. And we tried, to, tried our best with the words we knew. And honestly, just our smiles and our interaction. But um, yeah, just showing the emotions was difficult as well. Fortunately, our, our faces do a decent job at that, but the words really do help. And I'd say the third one, the third challenge would be would actually be working with the church there. 
The third challenge is there's a lot of logistics that have to be overcome to work together for a common cause. And when we don't have common vocabulary, even common culture, common sociolinguistic backgrounds, and honestly, just everything from where do we meet, when do we meet, who has the key to who's presenting tonight, who's bringing the cookies, everything is, is a challenge. So just in all the different realms of our life over there, the language impacted everything drastically. Yeah, I'm going to take it even lower to a different level down to just pure survival of going to the grocery store, mm-hmm. interacting for the needs that you had on a daily basis. Now, on this time, had your daughter been born? Yes. So she was two and a half when we left. Okay. So you not only have your own personal needs, but you got the needs of your child. Plus you're trying to interact with what you're trying to do with the school where you were teaching English and then the work you were doing in the church. Oh, was the work you were doing and the work at the church in the same place? Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually it was. So that's how we supported the local church there. The local church has an awesome outreach. They welcome people in from the community and charge a, a really discounted rate for English teaching. And over in Russia, having a native speaker is extremely valuable. So the fact that we didn't have we didn't have a lot of ESL experience, we had some, and we were native speakers. So we were supporting the local church in their in their program where they taught English. So we would go to that church on Friday nights and people would come in and we'd teach them some English and we'd occasionally tell them about American culture, tell them about the Bible, tell them about biblical culture. You only did that once a week? It was once a week in the one city we were in, which was west in west of Russia, about six hours south of Moscow. But on Thursday night, we were in a different city. So technically two times a week officially. Yeah. And how big were these groups that you'd be working with? The one villages a group could range from three to 15. And the large city that we were, that we lived in, it would range from maybe 10 to 40. So it's not a huge crowd, but enough to get, be able to get to know them, especially after the lesson was over. We'd talk and we would practice Russian. We'd practice English. We could go back and forth and um, really just share some tea. They call it chai in Russia, share some chai, share some cookies and just talk best we could and try to communicate and get to know each other and relate. What's one of your best memories Hmm. about an experience you had when you were teaching? Yeah, I think one of the best memories was when during the holidays, we would use the Bible a little bit more because there was warrant for it. So during Easter or during Christmas, we would open up the Bible and talk about some passages with the intention of teaching English still. And occasionally, you know, occasionally some people would not only understand the English that you were teaching, which is also encouraging, but they'd also see through it and start to be able to look at the text we were talking about and actually answer questions correctly about the text. So now they weren't just practicing English, they were practicing theology. They were practicing, they were understanding more about English and God, which was amazing. For Valentine's Day, for instance, we talked about love. And in 1 Corinthians 13, about love is patient, love is kind, etc. And we just talked about what does that mean? It sounds like love is hard. It's not just some fluffy emotion. And people were really understanding that and really figuring out that, yeah, wow, this is a biblical concept. And they understood it in a different language. So it was cool to see the, the theology and the words and the English vocabulary grow in some of those instances. 
As an American, did you have any perception hurdles to get past on what people may have thought, what's the typical American? Yes, absolutely. There are plenty of mostly bad perceptions of Americans uh, in Russia. Not all bad, but mostly. So Americans are loud, they're silly, they are sometimes greedy, can't be trusted. There's just a lot of baggage, honestly. So we definitely have to fight an uphill battle when we're ministering to a lot of people over there. But we just let the, we let our actions, we let our love speak for us. And after they get to know us, and after we can minister to them and spend time with them over months or even years, wow, they, they start to change their mind. They say, wow, maybe not all Americans are as bad as I thought. And that's an awesome privilege to be able to um, reverse that trend, but more importantly, to represent, represent our God and our Savior and reverse some of those bad stigmas as well. You know, one of the things that we talk about in class a lot, Thomas, is this idea of perception versus reality. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> there's the perception that you and I have of ourselves, and then there's the perception that your listeners, who you're speaking with, who you're teaching with, who you're touching, have of you. Mm -hmm. And nine times out of ten, those two perceptions are completely different. Now, the, the difference between those is a concept of what we call disparity. And from a communication perspective, when you're up teaching English, what you guys were doing, your perception of how it was going and their perception, it could be two different things. So the idea is how do I close that gap? Mm -hmm. So the perception you want to create is the perception that they're getting. Mm -hmm. What do you feel were the three biggest hurdles from that perspective that you had to overcome from a perception perspective? Mm -hmm. And can you give an example? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. The three biggest hurdles in closing that disparity gap. Number one would be just understanding what they needed and what they were looking for when they came to class versus what I thought they needed. Now, I'm going to interrupt just for a second. Forgive me, because that just makes me want, how did you close How did you figure that out? Yeah, painfully over many weeks. <laughs> Fortunately, I had a, a very wise, talented person who's been doing it for 10 years plus and occasionally she finally got to sit down in the class and she could tell, Thomas, I think you're losing them here and here. You're teaching them grammar. They already get grammar. They just need to have some practice in conversing. So you think you're doing a great job because, wow, you got the grammar down, but they don't care about the grammar. They care about just conversing and sounding natural. So that was a, a big turn that I had to make mid-year and to make it valuable for them. Yeah, so that was one thing, just figuring out what they wanted versus what I thought they wanted. Now, let me ask you this question. When you finally made that turn, did you see a different level of response and interaction? Yeah, absolutely. One example was one lesson I did, we did on calendar, time, schedules, things like that. So something as common as saying it's half past three. I wouldn't think to teach. That's not grammar. That's not vocabulary, but they loved hearing that kind of thing. Now they can converse in a normal, natural way to say, oh, it's half past three, or my birthday is on April 24th instead of at April 24th, or some kind of idiomatic phrases. When we had that lesson, they just started to lighten up. They would speak more. They would ask more questions through the translator sometimes. And yeah, and they feel, I feel like they were actually received what they were hoping to get out of that lesson, which was just natural speaking. You know? 
One of the other things we talk about in class a lot is this idea of being speaker-focused versus listener-focused. Mm-hmm. And many times when we're sharing information, we make it all about us. And that's a great illustration that you made it about them and the, the world just changed in front of you mm-hmm. when you're more focused at what they're trying to get. Yeah, no, absolutely. Multiple times throughout the year, as we did more, as we in- included more natural speech, the people would constantly come back to me after the class and say, oh, that was really cool. That was really great. Thank you so much. And um, not so much with the other ones. <laughs> well, what about more on a social level where you're just maybe you're at someone's house at dinner, you're there at your house for dinner. Mm-hmm. What about that form of reaching out and touching folks? Yeah, that's touches on the language and communication and culture, really. And there is a huge gap there. So in American culture, I might be trying to convey my modesty. If they offer me food, if they offer me tea, especially tea, we'll stick with tea because it's very cultural. It's very um, important. So they would ask, what tea would you like, green or black? And that's, oh, no, thank you. And they would look at me confused. No, you have to drink tea. I think I'm just saying, oh, no, I'll just take water. I'm being healthy. Um, You don't need to make anything for me. But they were insulted almost. Mm. People drink tea at our house. If you don't drink tea, then I'm not being a good host. So now my desire to honestly just keep things simple, I think I'm doing them a favor. I'm not doing them a favor at all. So that's one of those instances where I'm communicating way more than I thought I was. I'm communicating more of an insult rather than a... rather than trying to be helpful. So yeah, the tea culture is big. But that was one example, little example of when I'm at someone's house or at a church event and people offer me something, you should probably just be, just take it, honestly. That's going to communicate more value, more love than if you were trying to be kind by not taking it. It's hard to receive. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it is. And I think Americans especially have that struggle yeah, that just makes us vulnerable if we're receiving and maybe loses control a little bit. I'm not in control of the situation. But hey, when we're there, when you're in someone else's house, you just need to go with the flow and receive, be willing to. Did they allow you to give? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. how is it that you and Caitlin would give to them? That's outside great, of the classroom. Outside. Yeah, we b- firmly believe that connections are made in the home. And I think the Russian people also believe that too. So we would have people in our house often. Um, We would have them over for a weekend if they were from out of town. We'd have them over for dinner. We'd have them over just to spend time with our family. Nothing planned, nothing extravagant, but we would have a meal. And they would be invited into our home and they'd be part of our family. And they really felt uh, the love there, honestly. Um, being invited into the home and sharing what we had, even if it wasn't much, just the fact that we were doing life together meant the world to them. Mm. What would you say would be the bigger takeaways from that experience? Not the lesson, just the bigger takeaways. I think one of the bigger takeaways was you don't have to put on a show in your personal life or when you're interacting with someone to communicate love, to communicate with them that you care for them. I think often in our, my past, my history, I would say I need to have a, an extravagant dinner or I need to have uh, certain things or something plans to be um, entertaining or exciting. And really 
just opening up and kind of showing the messiness and the good stuff, the good and the bad, uh, that was meant a lot and it required a lot less planning and we did it more often. I think more often and maybe slightly less polished probably was more impactful. So just that takeaway, it doesn't have to be perfect to be beautiful. Awesome. Now tell us a little bit more about maybe what Caitlin experienced as a woman in that culture. Yeah, that is, that was actually a really um, impactful for our whole year. <clears throat> so Caitlin was home with Daisy mostly. And in that culture, they are mostly, the woman does stay home a lot um, or she works, but it's very patriarchal. And she unfortunately felt a little isolated. She did go to Russian classes. We would go to Russian uh, classes and learn the language. So she had some connection there. Honestly, the, her, the biggest time where she connected with people was when they were in our home. But when we weren't having people in our home, when she wasn't being able, when she wasn't able to be hospitable, yeah, she felt like a little bit like on an island. But I think that's when we had to realize that, you know, community doesn't just sometimes happen, doesn't fall into your lap. You might need to make that community, you might need to create those connections. So Caitlin did try to minister and create the community with the fellow workers, with some Bible, ladies Bible studies, with some of the people we were ministering to by having them into our house more often. So I think honestly, she had a huge voice and a huge uh, impact the year. It just wasn't as grandiose or on the front stage like my ministry was. And I, I, I love her for it. I, honestly, I think we had saw way more fruit from the, the work that she did in the lives of the, the ladies and the families that came over just from being at the home and just opening up and finding how her way she could work uh, versus than what I was doing on the front stage. Yeah, I really applaud her and I was grateful for her being able to serve with a, you know, serve in a new ways that we were anticipating. The power of a godly woman's voice is untapped hmm. in my mind. Yeah, agreed. And underutilized in how they can reach and touch people. <laughs> Women touch people differently than you and I do <laughs> as a man. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. The especially in the culture, once again, there's just a, a firmness or a wall sometimes between man and man or man and family. And just with Caitlin being there, it just opened up. People were just more open. I, I don't know what it was. I can't put a, I can't exactly describe it, but yeah, she opened up opportunities and doors and same. So Daisy too. Um, the fact that we had a, a little girl in the house, people just flocked to her. People opened up and they melted and they stopped, they put, tore down the walls and they just were willing to yeah, converse and be honest and genuine in a way that if it was just me, probably wouldn't have happened. I know it wouldn't have happened actually. Well, I know, I know that Daisy melted my heart, so I can see how her melting heart's all over the world. Yeah. You're going to be in trouble, Dad, when she gets a little bit older. I can tell you that already. Yeah, I got to start strategizing. <laughs> <clears throat> now, after you finish up your program at Shepherds, because I know that's where you're doing some setting, share with me, are there plans to go back to Russia? Is there a plan to go somewhere else in the other part of the world? How are you going to leverage this wonderful experience that you had in Russia with this tremendous education that you're getting? How are you going to bring those together and what's the next step? That is the million dollar question, isn't it? (laughs) Honestly, we don't exactly know, but we do have some ideas. So our church in Ohio, that's where we're from, 
we still have a connection with the community over there in Russia. So even if Caitlin and I don't go back full time, we will still have those connections and hopefully we'll still lead short-term trips and go there in the summers or other times. But honestly, one of the big things that we took away that we intend to use going forward is just our wider experience of God's world. It's far beyond just our American walls that we're thinking of. There's different people with different ways of thinking and it's broadened our mind. It's also taught us that things don't always go to according to plan, but they always go according to God's plan. And honestly, I don't think I would have learned that as well um, in America as I did over in Russia, where nothing goes according to plan. (laughs) Share with us, Thomas, a little bit. If you were going to compare the church in Russia to the church in America, what would you say are you know, the biggest couple of differences? Yeah. The biggest difference, I think, is the level of autonomy that the individual Christian has and how that makes the church culture feel. And what I mean by that is, in America, we have a very consumerism, consumeristic mindset, and we pick and choose our churches, pick and choose our music, pick and choose the carpet, etc., In Russia, it is what it is. They have a building, and if it has heat, great. That's it. You're just a little more content with less, and you're a little more content with the decisions of the church leaders there. They have their problems. I'm not going to say they're perfect, but in one big sense, it was refreshing to see the church over there in Russia just honestly be a little more content with the way things are and not rustle up so many feathers when one little thing goes wrong. How many people would you say are in an average church? Now, we have here in America, we have these mega churches. Mm-hmm. So from that perspective, are they smaller? Are they 100, 200, 50? Yeah, they're pretty small. So they can range from 10 to maybe 100. In the big cities like Moscow, you might have several hundred. But honestly, Russia is a very unreached people group. There's a lot of people and not much gospel witness, not many churches that will um, proclaim God's word. So the churches are small and they're few. And that's why we went there. Actually, it was a statistics numbers game. And we just felt there's a place where more Christians could be a voice and a light rushes it. So that's why we went. Is the church there for lack of a better term persecuted in any way, shape or form? I would say it's not persecuted. It can be if it does something the government doesn't like. So they have no uh, recourse like our legal system to say, no, you can't do that government. If they evangelize too much or if they make too much of a ruckus in the city, the local government might be able to bring some fines, bring something and persecute them a little bit. Nothing like it was under the Soviet Union. But yeah, I think it's worse than it is here for sure. They have a lot more restrictions about what they can do. But overall, there's still a little more freedom to be able to work and, um, honestly, share the gospel and, and minister to the people around them. Are, are the people fairly open about their faith? Mm. There's a turning tide. There's a different generational gap. The people that have come from the Soviet Union have this mentality um, in general that we just need to survive because there was intense persecution. There's a ton of people getting saved and becoming um, just seeking to join the church and giving their life to Christ, and they are very passionate. It's really encouraging to see how little they care about what other people think of them in the good sense, not in the bad sense. So they do share quite a bit, but it is a generational issue, generational difference. Do you see a reawakening in that part of the world? 
I think so. It's a slow reawakening. <laughs> the culture is very cold. It's very um, hard to penetrate. But given that understanding, I think there is some reawakening happening. Uh, there are churches that are so passionate and they are using whatever means possible to proclaim the word, proclaim the message, pro- proclaim the gospel. And I think there is growth. Yeah, there is growth and there is encouraging things happening over there. The Lord's working in Russia, maybe not as fast as Americans would want as our corporate mindset, but he's still working. Now you gave the terms kind of cold. So let me ask, is that more formal or is it more really the way you described it cold? Mm. I think cold meaning they are more apprehensive to warm fellowship you have to really do some work to get to know them until they take down the barriers, take down the walls. But once you do, you are very close. I like to paint the picture of a coconut versus a peach. So people in America or the Western world are like peaches. They're very soft on the outside. You can dig in, but once you hit that pit, you can't get underneath that. A coconut though, that's Russians. It's hard to get to the outside, but once you get inside that shell, it's liquidy. It's, they're just open. So it's a very different kind of per people. Whether you're learning a new skill or sharpening your existing skill set in communications, you have an approach to learning that works best for you. The challenge is whether the training you need is face-to-face or virtual. The question becomes, how do you find training that matches your learning style? The Remarkability Institute with Bart Queen offers participants learning options, online, self-directed, virtual or a combination of virtual and classroom to drive both behavioral change and knowledge transfer. For more information, visit us at bartqueen.com and go to the Remarkability Institute tab to learn more. Share with us a little bit about Mm re-entry. In all my experiences of my travels, there have been many times when re-entry, coming back, was much more difficult than going in. Because I always walked in with the mindset of, I'm open, kind of a tabula rasa. But coming back sometimes and having to take what you've learned of your experience back to what home is sometimes. Did you struggle with that at all? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a funny story. We got back to my brother-in-law's place and they had carpet on the floor. And I just started kind of like crying almost, like carpet on the floor. No one really has carpet in Russia. They have hard floors. And I felt like I got a blessing. And I just felt almost guilty. Like, why do I get to have this? And there was grass everywhere. This person had a yard and I was, my feet were in the grass and I I loved it, but I felt confused. Should I be able to enjoy this? Just knowing the, what people don't have over there, honestly. But another But another oddity is just how similar things are and how different they are, because this is your home. So when you go to Russia, it's not your home. You're expecting difference. But when you come back, you're expecting everything to be warm and nostalgic, but it's something a little different. The grocery stores seem bigger. They seem more extravagant. The cars and the the roads are maybe a little more, a little more structured, a little more honestly, maybe annoying, maybe sometimes. And you think this shouldn't be this way. This is my home country. So yeah, it was difficult to uh, come back almost in the little things. There was not one big problem, but just enough little things to feel like this doesn't 
feel quite the same as the home that I had expected. Thomas, I remember my first trip from coming back from Africa, Mm -hmm. teaching class, and I was standing in what you and I might call a corporate break room. Mm -hmm. People are milling in and out. And they had a fountain machine where you could get Coke and Diet Coke and root beer and whatever they were serving. But a gentleman walked in, and just in the course of conversation, he was complaining about the fact that there wasn't Dr. Pepper. And I just so remember that sticking in my head, thinking, wow, you just need to pinch yourself a little bit because we have so much at our fingertips that we take for granted Mm -hmm. that other places in the world don't have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. It really is because that's probably the most salient difference in the cultures. And the salient difference when you come back is what people expect. We have total control over almost everything in America. And yeah, when other places in the world don't. And that's one big thing I appreciate about going to Russia is just a better perspective. That perspective is Mm eye-opening and it makes us see things so differently. It makes us see people differently from my experience Mm -hmm. and situations differently and the things that are important or not important become simpler. Mm-hmm. And what really matters is the people that you're with and the people that you care for more than anything else in the whole world. Yeah, no, absolutely. We have each other and we have people. And like I said earlier, it doesn't have to be perfect to be meaningful, to be beautiful, to be amazing. And uh, that's one big takeaway that I got out of Russia. And one thing I really hope to not lose. If you could offer the listeners kind of a life lesson, Thomas, as if Daisy had said to you, Dad, what's the biggest life lesson you learned out of that experience? Share with me, Dad, so that I don't make those mistakes or so that I can take that principle and share it with others. What would be that life lesson that you walked out of that years of experience with? I think that life lesson would be first and foremost how we relate and understand God at work. We came in expecting to do one thing, teach English, um, teach English. And the amount of things that occurred over there in our time were so drastically different. And it required us to be able to say, this is still a fruitful year, a still meaningful year, because God is in control of this year. And it did not go at all all according to plan, but it went according to his plan. Exhibit A, COVID-19. So (laughs) that was our year, our one year shot in Russia. And for three, four months of it, a global pandemic occurred. So if there's any more obvious way to say, hey, it's not about you and your plans, I can't think of it because God put it all his cards on the table and said, yeah, it's not about you. It's about what I'm doing. Did you feel like, Thomas, that in comparing to what you felt like you gave them and what they gave you, they gave you more than what you gave them? I'm going to say it's equal, I think. <laughs> Maybe that's the disparity again. No, I do believe I, I changed quite a bit more. I got a lot more out of the year than I gave. I'd like to say I gave, but honestly, that ministry is still happening without me. And I'm sure they were encouraged, but lifelong impact, probably not. Lifelong impact for me, definitely. So, yeah, I I would say, I would agree now that I've gone back to your point. Yeah, I I agree. I definitely think I've gotten a lot more out of the year than I was able to give 
The other thing I think that we walk away with when we have these kind of experiences is that we walk away with things that we can share and teach others. Mm. And they become these life lessons and these jewels and these golden nuggets that you'll end up sharing time after time. Mm. And that's why I came back to what I said earlier about this idea that mastery is a path and it's not a destination. Mm-hmm. I am so excited to hear, Thomas, as you and Caitlin and Daisy continue this journey, how you're going to use what you have learned and been through and experienced to help someone else in some similar situation mm-hmm. that you'll be able to take that lesson. You and I both know that God doesn't waste anything, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and he uses every single bit of it. Amen, brother. No one succeeds by themselves, and you have shown us what that success is as you shared it with Caitlin, and they have shared with you. Thomas, it's been an absolute joy and a pleasure. I can't thank you enough for sharing your heart and sharing your experience, sharing your wisdom and your insight about what it was like to be a year in Russia. Well, the pleasure's all mine. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Remarkability Institute with Bart Queen. Make your voice count today. Stand up, step out, and speak up. Your voice counts. Visit BartQueen.com for show notes and other resources to help you turn the art of communications into the science of remarkable results.